0: Me all all. I don't think so. In fact, I'd say I've got you sussed. We've got something in common, you and me. Like what? Like we're both perfectly willing to hurt someone if it matters enough. Is that a threat? It's a fact. You ever go near Tyson again, I swear. Alice!
1: Welcome to Series 2, Episode 23 of Conversation on the Yiga Mountain, a podcast about the tribe. I'm your host, Lance, and joining a podcast panel today is Liz. Hello. Sabine. Hi. And Colin. What up? With episode notes done by Matt and myself. So series two, episode 23, the screenplay was done by Carrie Rose. It was directed by Janet Stubbins. And the episode synopsis were read out by Liz.
2: It's the grand opening of the Mallrats trading market. Danny is especially buoyant after Jack and Ellie's investigations into Pandorix Appear to have hit a brick wall, but the duo haven't given up yet. Ebony realizes she's made an enemy in Alice, while Ryan worries himself over Lex's
1: whereabouts. So the episode picks up in Tri World a week after Danny's trial at the opening of the Morats' new trading market. Bray tells Danny that the Tribe have chosen her to cut the ribbon, and she's happy that Jack and Annie's research into Pandorix has come to nothing, although she does lay a snap at them when she realizes that they're still looking. So yeah, panel, uh, just in general, what do you make of Danny in this episode? I want to like her.
2: Like, at first, she's introduced, seeming like, okay, now that she doesn't have that awful secret pressing in on her, and again, it's a good secret, I understand why she wouldn't want anyone to know it, and why that would stress her out and make her really defensive. So they introduce her as though the secret is no longer her burden, and so she's a lighter, more friendly person. But the minute she reacts to Jack and Ellie, I'm reminded, no, she's not actually a nice person. She still could have reacted to to them in a nice way. She didn't have to be a total jerk. And Mm -hmm. it just just made me feel like you're trying to sell Danny on me, but it seems like her default state is I'm a jerk. So uh.
3: yeah, I, I completely agree. I still don't like Danny at this point in time when I first watched this episode, even after knowing everything, I understood why she's keeping it a secret. Uh, I understand that she has the weight of her shoulders and everything depends on her uh, doing everything she can for the tribe because they have the most power right now to influence the entire city Uh, she's still a jerk she's still um, just not a fun person to be around or to even root for in terms of having things go her way so yeah I still don't like Danny but it's it's whatever at this point. It's season two.
0: <laughs> it's just you know, I like that she was finally a bit happier, but it's just her whole behavior. Mm. You know, it's I get why she wants to protect her secret, but she doesn't have to be this bitchy about it because that's not going to win any friends to her side.
2: Yeah, I just when she goes in there and she sees they're still looking, I can totally understand her being nervous and really anxious, and you know. Not being encouraging. I can understand that. Because of course she doesn't want them to find anything. And she's irritated they're still looking. Because she wants this to go away. But it's just the way she treats them every time. I'm just like, nah, you don't have to treat people like that. Despite what it is you're hiding. You have a good secret to hide. I understand that. But you don't have to treat people this way. And I just... And then the way she tries to cover it up later. When Ellie legit calls her out on it in front of everyone else. She's like, what, when I just, you know, like, she didn't actually treat them that way. And Ellie's like, you mean ordered us and was a total dick to us? And she just tried to play it off, like, no, I didn't treat you that way. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, you did. We were all there, mm-hmm.
0: you know. Then Ellie and Jack just, you know, knowing that they had something and having gotten a letter from a friend of the person who entered that. Yeah, as if Danny wasn't behind that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what if she was? That's interesting <laughs> Thought,
0: yeah. When they
2: wrote a letter and just, like, stuck it in their pile of evidence when they weren't paying attention.
0: Mm. They wow. Said they, they said they had evidence that looked really good, like, really good information about pandorics, and then someone gave a letter from, someone put a letter in, like, no, my friend was just joking. He was just making it up, and I don't want <laughs> you to think it was real. That's
3: uh, really cool. <laughs> so that. Internet troll.
0: Really
2: <laughs> think about it, you guys. That's really suspicious. Think about it. Like who won? Who is in their tribe? Going? I'm going to make up a fake letter and send it to the Malrats. And then their friend is so concerned. They feel I should send a letter to know the Malrats know that this is crap. Who does that? <laughs> it just feels suspicious that they got a letter. From someone mm-hmm. saying, oh, don't believe this person's information. You know, <laughs> like,
0: I'm willing <laughs> that Danny had something to do with it. I'm just saying, I wouldn't put it back mm-hmm. there. I'm assuming she had. <laughs> do they know her handwriting? No. I mean, the Bill of Rights was typed out, wasn't it? Yeah. That's why. This is,
3: this is all a master plan right <laughs> now.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's new head kind of know
3: If anything, that's evidence to go against her.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Not to mention her reaction after they say, "But this other guy wrote in and says that his friend was a crackpot." She's like, "I told you." <laughs> Wouldn't you just be relieved? Mm-hmm.
3: It's just an internal struggle of her accepting her past and what's happened. Because you know, no matter how far you run from something, it's always going to follow you. So uh, it's cool that they're teaching that message, but it's too bad Danny is never going to learn learn about that.
1: Sorry, I was just thinking, like, it's, it's quite sad, because, like, we just had, like, in the previous episode, Danny crying to Bray how she wanted to be a part of this family. And here they have, they've all chose her to cut this ribbon, and this is the way she reacts <laughs> to, like, her, her family that like, she's wanted so much. It's just, it's just so hard to like her.
2: <laughs> it is. It's hard to believe that she does care about anybody, or that she wants their acceptance, you know? I guess they just, they leaned way too hard into trying to make it obvious that Danny's hiding this, you know? And it's, I get it before we knew what she was hiding. I could almost give it a pass. Like, okay, we didn't know what Danny was hiding, so they wanted her to be suspicious. But now that we know what she's hiding, I feel like they should have eased up on this kind of behavior.
1: Yes.
2: Because this is supposed to be the turning point. We're supposed to start liking Danny So you need to double time to make us like her to make up for the past 20 episodes where we didn't. You got to make up for that time. But it's like, instead, they don't do that. And it's like, what the heck are you doing? You you can't Mm -hmm. continue having her be unlikable at this point. You got to change the audience's mind about her, you know? And I I just don't think they do a good job. In fact, in some ways, she becomes a little more unlikable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And... But it is like, as you, When I think about her behavior, like how whiny she stays, especially with Bray, it's like you're not any more likable, even though you don't even have a secret or a reason to be this unlikable now.
1: Yeah, it's true. I was going to say, that turning point never actually happens. We're all waiting for it. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen.
0: Oh, there is a moment where I really like her later on. That's just a very, very short moment because she has some lovely comments to people sometimes. I wonder, what if the writers were just
2: resentful? They'd written this part for Amber, you know, and they don't have her. They had to kill her off, and they had to bring in this replacement. What if there was just this deep-seated resentment about it, and it just (laughs) came out in the writing? (laughs) Like, you should have been Amber. (laughs) Well, This is how I'm going to differentiate you from her. (laughs) I believe it. Just so subconscious, you know, coming out in the writing. (laughs) They were just so unhappy they didn't have Amber.
1: Oh, speaking of that, one last thing. Like, um, What did you make of um, Danny's new outfit?
2: She looks good. I like it on her. It's one of my favorite looks in the
0: whole show. People stop suspecting her of being part of The Chosen and she changes out of the white instantly. Mm-hmm. Always found that interesting.
1: <laughs>
0: well, the white always felt like it was armor, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It gave off a cold, impersonal feel. She looked good in it, don't get me wrong. But it didn't say, hey, come on in, you know. It wasn't in Mm -hmm. And this outfit is far more earthy and grounded. And you can see it's highly influenced by Bray's motif.
3: Yeah. And Mm
2: -hmm. she's finally wearing the leaves that are the symbol of the tribe. And, you know, showing that she's embraced being a part of them. So I think it's a great look for her. She looks fantastic. The colors are really nice. And, you know, again, since they're pushing her and Bray together, they're wearing blended colors and blah, blah, blah. And it's a good look, though. She looks good, regardless of how I feel about
3: her. She looks fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, easily one of the best looks. And then one of the best dressed characters in the entire series, along with Tyson and uh, Ebony. But I think my favorite part about the al- the outfit is... And I'm making sure I'm looking at it closely. She has like kind of like this band of forks on her arm. <laughs> <laughs> it looks pretty cool. I mean, I don't like how do they get it to bend like it has to be plastic or something. I don't know, but it looks pretty cool. It looks it looks pretty badass.
1: Alice, you're a good person. You're loyal, you're caring, but if it's my destiny to die, you can't change that. How can you say that so calmly? Maybe I see things differently from you.
0: I- I'm a farm girl. We survive by keeping things alive. Animals, crops. We fight for life. And I respect that. But this is how I fight for life.
1: So Alice confronts Ebony, telling her that she knows she tried to kill Tyson and we're watching her. Tyson, however, doesn't agree with Alice's threats and admits that she's happy to follow her destiny and never needed a body card. Alice doesn't understand, explaining that as a farm girl, she's used to fighting for life. See so yeah, a panel. Um, what do you make of the exploration of the different philosophies of both Tysan and Alice, and the conflict between them and Ebony? I love it. Mm-hmm.
2: It's, our, it's the high point of the episode. It's one of my favorite moments between them, and I feel like this is just the epitome of Alice and Tysan. They explain their different viewpoints. They don't agree. They don't. They never really come to a sense of like, okay, I'm going to try it your way or I'll try it your way. They don't agree on this. And yet they, they're they still okay. They respect that they have different perspectives on how this should hand, be handled. Alice doesn't get, you know, Tyson, but she's not disrespectful to Tyson's viewpoint. She just explains why it makes no sense to her. Mm-hmm. And Tyson, at the same time, is like, okay, I don't expect you to get it, but could you just respect my wishes and not go after her? I just... It's such a healthy expression of people who feel very differently about something and they don't let it get in the way of their relationship. Alice literally just finds out that Tysan never really gave a crap about having her around. And it, anyone else would have been like, okay, I guess I'm leaving. <laughs>
0: Need <to be> here,"
2: <laughs> But she st- chooses to still stick around and hang out with Tyson and try to understand her and... I just think it's beautiful. I, these two are pure win in this episode, together, at least. You know, like, oh, I love it. And it's so nice to see Tyson understood by someone. And it, it's just nice. I loved
1: it. Uh, that's it I'll stop. <laughs> Alice
0: yeah. really has the best lines, doesn't she?
1: <laughs> <laughs> She's <sighs> pretty <much. laughs>
0: And the faces he pulls, they're just so honest and fitting. Yeah, you really think I'm scared of that?
2: (laughs) Alice, Ebony.
0: (sighs) So good, so good.
2: I love what she says. I'll tell you one thing about us. We have something in common. We are perfectly willing to do whatever needs to be done if it means enough. And I was just like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Ebony's looking at her like, ooh, this one, I met my match. Because like, a tiny bit of respect, because we'll see later, that Ebony actually does respect Alice. and. I love that about them. It is such a a great head-on David Goliath thing going on. I love it.
3: <laughs>
0: and you just see Ebony staring at her with a, Okay, I can take a lot of people, but I probably can't take Alice.
1: <laughs> yeah, when <laughs> she was making the fright, she was just like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to have to rethink this.
3: <laughs> all this. All this scene really showed me is that I think believe that Taizan is uh, immortal. I believe she's immortal. I believe that she thinks she's immortal. And she just believes nothing can harm her. Almost (laughs) walking like she's some type of messiah. Um, Yeah, it makes it makes absolutely no sense to me. I mean, yeah, it's great that they have such a uh, great conversation where bad words weren't thrown at each other. Hands weren't thrown and all that. But uh, like this. Ebony just tried to kill you. You don't want to do anything about it. (laughs) You still want to sleep under the same roof as her. It makes absolutely no sense. You can't help anyone who doesn't want to be helped. And I think. Ellis should uh, distance herself. From Taizan as far as possible.
2: (laughs) I do understand it's weird for some people. Because the majority of us our we, we learn to fear death our whole lives, you know. Mortality is a great fear for most of us. Just the idea that we won't be here anymore. Which we, we spend most of our lives just trying to grapple with that reality. You know, and so it can be weird when you meet someone who isn't bothered by their own m- mortality. They're not gonna seek death, but they're no they're not afraid of it. They actually call that being a master of death. Someone who isn't afraid mm-hmm. of it. You know, and would, you know, if it, t- if it's my time, it's my time. I cannot control that. And that's how they erase the fear. It's not something I can do anything about. So wasting all this energy, being afraid of it, of what it, you know, if it'll come to me, I can't control the time it'll happen. Sure, I'll do, you know, pertinent things to avoid it, but at the end of the day, I can't lose sleep over it. And I know that does sound weird, but again, that is a very spiritual viewpoint and you see a lot of gurus with that and... It's fitting for Tysan, I think. At least the direction she's trying Mm -hmm. to go in, you know, she's trying to be her better self this season, and I get it for her. And I totally get what Alice is like. Are you freaking serious? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I could get rid of her right now.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm saying.
2: I think it's it's not. I don't think it's weird that Tysan's. Unafraid that she may die, that you know, Ebony might try this again. But I do think it's weird that she wants to make peace with Ty- like with Ebony. You know, like I do think that's a little weird. This person did try to kill you. You don't need to talk to them, you don't have to play nice with them, you know. Um, but maybe she thinks she can win Ebony over. Who knows?
1: Yeah, I was gonna bring it up because that is quite interesting. Because we, we will see later on in during the little celebrations, later she's all happily laughing with Ebony. She like she really is trying not to hold any grudges with her whatsoever. It, it is kind of strange. It is hard to wrap your head around it a bit.
3: Well, I, I, can, I can explain it. I think during that explosion, half of her brain was toasted. So she's clearly not thinking straight.
2: <laughs> I think she just is going through a phase in her life where she's trying to be her best self. Um, we, we all go through phases like this. I call it your non-judgmental phase. I went through one major and your mind is open and it's all these possibilities and you, you just... Like, I was the kind of person to be like, my kids already exist, man. I just haven't met them yet, you know?
3: (laughs) (sighs) You know what it is? Maybe, I think Taizan did a self-lobotomy on herself. Does that make (laughs) sense?
0: (laughs) You're just opening (laughs) yourself to the universe. (laughs) I think she just believes in reincarnation so much that she thinks that even if she dies, she'll come back. Again, and again, and again. she so yeah, I kind of agree with Carlin on the immortality part.
3: And the lobotomy part too, right?
2: She
0: believes that we're all part of the
2: energy of the
0: universe. That nothing really
2: dies, it just transfers its energy into something else. You know, and just accepts that. Like, I won't be this mm-hmm. form anymore, but maybe I'll come back as a cat. Or a tree, or whatever. Or a nice crystal. Yeah, you know. It's a freeing way to think. I will say that. Um, it's as silly as it can seem sometimes is freeing to let that fear go and just take it as it comes and be okay with it be like oh kids where the wind's blowing me and i do think like i said she's just going through a phase where she's trying to be the best self she can and put out the best energy and hope it comes back to her you know all you can do is be like okay sweetheart (laughs) okay you're harmless right now it's fine (laughs) you believe what you
0: believe
2: (laughs) here have something to drink
0: Before I cut this ribbon, I just want to thank Bray for his commitment, his energy, and his vision. Oh, um, and the rest of the Mallrats for caring enough about us and the future to make this happen. I now declare the Mallrats trading market open!
1: Okay, let's dive into the trading market itself. So, as the market opens for business, Ebony urges the Mallrats to be canny with their trading in order to benefit the tribe. This doesn't sit well with some of the others, including Ryan, who would be happy to give something for free to someone who needed it. So a few questions here, panel. First of all, after everything that's happened so far, is Ebony's belief that she can somehow convert the Morats into this kind of profiteering outfit, is is that naive to believe that she can do this? Or what, what do you think about that?
2: I don't think it's naive that she thinks she can turn them into that. Because everything we've seen, Mm -hmm. the mall rats are already showing the evidence that they could turn into that. I mean, look how they've become, you know. I think she's naive in thinking that she can word it the way she did and they'll fall for that. Mm -hmm. The mall rats are willing to do the wrong things to keep their power. We've already seen them do that. But they have to be convinced that it's the only choice they have. They have to be able to convince themselves and look themselves in the mirror and think, I still did the right thing. So if everybody wants to lead them down this path, she has to be more savvy. She has to make them think that we're doing the right thing and we're not wrong. So she could totally turn these guys into a profiteering group, she, but she's not going to be able to do it if they feel guilty about it.
0: Does mm-hmm. that sense? Yeah, it does. Because, you know... Especially with that coming from Ebony. You know, they don't trust her. They don't trust her motives in anything. And they know she's only out looking after number one. And they don't want to be like that. If anyone else would have come to them with a okay, you know, this is what's best for all of us. If we just make as much profit as possible, we will all benefit from it. If someone else had said that, then they would have Instantly all gone for that.
2: Or if she had presented it like, hey, the richer we are, the more we can give back to the city, yep. the more we can take care of others. Then mm-hmm. you'd be getting people on board with thinking, oh, we're being altruistic, aren't we? Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not even Ebony could say. <laughs> she <was> like...
2: <laughs> She's being too blunt about the reality. Mm-hmm. That we have the power and we can do whatever we want, so let's do it. And that's too truthful for the Mawraths.
0: Mm-hmm. They don't like that. They don't like being reminded that that's exactly what they've been doing. I actually think Danny might have been able to put a decent spin on it to make them go for the idea that you just mentioned. Yeah, or Bray.
2: Definitely Bray. Yeah, <laughs> she could put, put, pose it to Bray and then Bray would sell it to the
3: others. Mm hmm. That's true. He but is always it, the puppet man.
0: But it coming from Ebony or, you know, someone like Casey or even if, it, if Lex had been there and said the same thing, everyone would have instantly said, oh, yeah, you're just looking out for yourself.
2: Imagine you're in the zombie apocalypse and you're in a survival group and there's another one down the road and you know they've got resources you need and yet your, your group tries to be good people. You're not going to really convince your good group of good people to invade that other group. By saying they have what we need, let's go get it. That's not gonna work. You're gonna have too many people in the group, mm-hmm. like, that's not right. We wouldn't want anyone doing that to us, and that's not cool. But if you could convince them that you're saving someone, they're, they're do- that group's doing terrible things, and they've they got prisoners, and we're gonna go over there, and we're gonna liberate them, and we're gonna protect them, then we can use our resources to help others. You're far more likely to get your group to agree to invade another group. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? You gotta sell it to them. Got to make them believe we're doing the right thing. It's okay what we're doing. We're saving people. We're making lives better. You can't tell them that we're
0: just being selfish pricks. (laughs) My son would have been able to sell it. Probably.
3: Yeah, she should have, since she is selfish in herself. (laughs) Yeah, but this episode does remind me that Ebony is such is like she's literally the Palpatine. Of the uh of the entire season two, or just in the entire series, always oh, just manipulating people just to get our way.
1: yeah, well, um what are your thoughts on the market itself? because, um like trades have been going on in the city ever since the virus started like does it does there really need to be this safe space within the mall for trades to happen, especially with the bit of rights having gone out and everything like what are your thoughts on this? It's the next natural step in any evolution society and to me
0: it makes sense you know if they do it inside the mall they're in a controlled area so less chance of someone who wants to trade getting mugged or anything by others who just want to steal from them and have no regard for new rules it's easier to police people on rules if they're in an enclosed building instead of throughout a whole city and they're
2: not really the first ones doing this we have seen evidence that other tribes have marketplaces. It just depends on what they want to sell. So mm-hmm. the casino is it's making a profit. It's selling fun. It's selling entertainment. But kids are trading just to go in and have a good time. And that's how they make their profit. And it's a safe place to go and do that. You know, so it has happened in the city. So I, I think a marketplace is very smart, very clever. And I do understand it's one of the few times when the mallrats take it upon themselves to do it in their own turf, that I agree with them for doing it Mm -hmm. this way. And if they can make this work, then they can expand it. You know, it's way easier to have a centralized marketplace than doing random trades all over the city. You know, you, if you're a seller, you have things to trade, you can be seen by people who wouldn't have normally seen you. You have a safe place to barter your wares, you know, and if you want something, you have a safe place to go and get it as well. And they've opened their marketplace to everyone, which is more than other tribes have done. Mm-hmm. This was one of their very good ideas and the way they implemented it it was smart too. I'll gi- I'm going to give them a sticker for this one. <laughs>
3: yeah star. I, I agree i think it's smart but i would would have loved to see it um i guess evolved a little bit more um again i would like to see like again the bill of rights kind of play more into the marketplaces because successful marketplaces that we've seen in the i guess in the tribe universe all depends on how organized it is and if you can buy the right bodyguards to uh, protection people feel safe. To so, where they're willing to give you their resources for whatever. Um, I thought that would have been a little cool to see a little bit more like each marketplace in a different, I guess, tribe capital, like different tribes' uh, hideouts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been cool. And then also, just looking at some of the stuff they're trading for, I saw that uh, Dale got like some diesel fuel. I'm really curious to what he traded. For that fuel because i would think that that's probably like on the highest of list of things
0: why would it be though you need something to put, to put the diesel in and a lot of groups would have already
2: transferred over from depending on traditional fuel sources they've lived in this world long enough that they've already just accepted it's really hard to come by so you have to adapt to a new way of life so you don't depend on that you know so yeah i agree with mean it's like it actually wouldn't be that desirable for many people because they've already switched over from a fuel-dependent lifestyle because they can't depend on it because it's hard to find. So I can understand why it would have been a lot easier for Dal to get his hands on it now compared to earlier.
3: I mean, I I can get that, but I'm still wondering what he traded for that. If you know that the farm or the, or the uh, casino... Either those two people are, those two tribes are going to really use the diesel fuel. I would imagine you would trade a lot for it since it's only a one thing that someone has and it's very scarce.
2: Maybe he grew a precious star fruit and someone was like, oh my gosh, I've been craving this for a year. I have a tank of diesel. Give me that star fruit. I
0: don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean. He has access to fresh food.
3: That would be well. That would be crazy if it was like the littlest thing, right? Like, oh, I'll trade you a watch for that diesel fuel. All right, cool.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I'd sooner assume it was fresh food because that's something that's very hard to come by in the city.
3: Milk, right. you know, butter. Yeah. yeah, There's there's bottles of milk. I saw that.
1: It, it could have been a case of broken watches for like. He's <laughs> a morat. He used "I'm a, <laughs> a morat. We have the antidote. That's where the power comes into play. Like, it could have yeah. been anything small. It doesn't really matter. I want diesel. Yeah. So we, well,
0: yeah. yeah. Diesel. Want to trade me? Yeah.
1: Besides, um, kids don't make the
2: the best trades. Have you ever watched kids trading cards at <laughs> recess? Uh, <laughs> kids trade weird things, especially when you're young. I remember doing that with my besties trading clothes, items, things like that. Marbles. And it's just I want what you have. Yeah, and it's you might even regret the trade later. I still haven't gotten over a pair of shoes. I traded with my best friend in nineteen ninety-three. Oh <laughs> man. That's <laughs> a Why really this episode. <laughs> 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 but I did it at the time. <laughs> still haven't gotten over it. <laughs>
1: um yeah and lastly like what did you think of Ryan's idea? Um, That he would just trade things to people for free if they needed it.
0: It's so Ryan. Mm.
2: It introduces the idea of actual altruism. You know, like that's, he'd be that person in real life Mm -hmm. who's honestly donating to charity. Not just because it's a tax write-off, but just because I have it and I don't need it, you know, so... And I, I, that's a discussion people would have. He's checking, is this allowed? What if I don't want to trade? What if I just don't need something and I want to give it to somebody else? Am I allowed to do that? And, you know, because Ebony's presenting the idea that you can't even do that. It's got to be profit, you know? And there are going to be people, people like Ryan in society who just like, I, I'm not interested in getting anything back. I just want to be able to help people if I have enough. You know, Ryan's a true socialist. Socialist. <laughs> Did I say mm-hmm. that right? Socialist. Socialist. that's Ryan. (laughs) If you give what you don't need, we'll all have enough, you know.
0: I'm just imagining him going out there and handing stuff to people that need it. Yeah, he would. He would totally
2: be. He'd be working at homeless shelters, soup kitchens. You know, he'd definitely have charity funds and fundraisers and always give money to your Kickstarter.
0: (laughs) I mean, he'd see a kid, a younger kid without a coat shivering and give his coat to them you know i can see him doing that
2: and ryan's also the kind of person who would do this without making like a twitter post so everyone knows mm-hmm. what he you just do it and that would be the end of it He wouldn't need any praise for it honestly i think they put that in there just so that we could get the, <laughs> the reminder that not all of our mall rats are greedy buggers
0: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> We've tortured you for many episodes with these people's awfulness. Let's remind you that they can be decent people
0: because <laughs> there been a sudden upswing, and this makes the contrast between someone like Ryan and what someone like Lex or KC would do so much bigger. Yeah,
1: okay. Let's yeah, let's talk about um Lex because um after almost making his way back to the mall, he instead heads to the bar where he's thrown out for harassing a waitress before an unknown figure attempts to rob him in his sleep. And this is, of course, leads to our first introduction of May. Um, Your yeah, panel, what did you make of May's introduction and Lex's overall state in this episode?
0: I loved the idea of him getting robbed by a girl. He so had that coming. Mm-hmm. And May just looks awesome. She does.
2: It's a good introduction for May. She looks mm-hmm. amazing. Um... And this is very suitable for the person we're going to meet, that this is how she's introduced. So it just works really well. And I I, I don't know, it's a great introduction for her and completely in character. It's not like she's introduced one way and then turns out to be a completely different person. No, this is May. You know, she's a survivor. She'll do whatever. And that's exactly how we meet her. She has no qualms about finding someone on the street and taking what she can from them. with No empathy for their situation. She just oh, you're sleeping? I'm going to see what I can get from you. And and the look on her face, like, Laura Wilson, you look fantastic.
1: <laughs>
2: mm. <laughs> really? The,
0: you know, the costume department
2: did good. I love the fact that when he catches her, she doesn't even look like embarrassed or ashamed. Nope. She just looks at him like, what? What? Yeah, I was trying to steal from you. What are you going to do? Why did you wake up? You just ruined my day. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, I would have loved to see her train of thought when she saw, like, sleeping, like, ooh, another sucker to rob.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if she's waiting out there, just waiting to see drunk guys getting thrown out to just get what she needs from them.
1: Yeah, it's a a good place to hit people, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely.
0: I mean, if they're thrown out there, they're lucky if they're not, like, beaten to a pulp yet. And in any case, they're probably drunk. As for Lex's state, I didn't actually feel
2: anything for it. It's just It feels like it's exposition, just so we know where he is. We know mm-hmm. he is around. We know he's still rock bottom. We know he hasn't done any self-reflecting. We know he's not trying to better his situation. We don't know if he's sorry. We don't know if he feels regretful. You know, he, his reaction to the mall rats, seeing the Marketplace sign, it, it shows a sense of just resentment. And anger, mm-hmm. he's still blaming them for his situation. But it just feels expositional so that we know he's still out there and can be found if Ryan goes to find him. You know what I mean? So
3: mm-hmm.
2: I didn't really feel anything. I was just like,
0: oh, okay, there he is. Didn't surprise me that he got thrown out for harassing a waitress, though. Hasn't learned a thing. Mm. Nope.
3: Just another day in the life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just Lex being Lex.
3: I was going to say it, but I will say that May, I absolutely love May's character, and I believe that she is a top 10, well, for me, top 8 character of all time.
1: Yeah, I do love the dynamic that May will bring. Mm-hmm. to. <laughs> I know you mentioned this, you don't feel sorry for Lex at all, but like that opening scene where Lex returns to the mall, and he sees a sign, he just sees them all like, getting on with life, was there no not even a, a spark of sadness at him for... No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: sorry, I don't again, I don't feel like he's some sort of victim, you know what I mean? Like mm. it'd be different if he his expression showed sadness or regret for the situ- what situation he caused, you know, but instead it's just anger and resentment and it's like, yeah, life goes on without you, mm. you know um granted, that is depressing. For anyone to realize that life moves on without you. And that's a huge wake-up call for anyone who has a damaging personality and realizes that people might be better off if you're not in their life. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But Mm -hmm. again, it's not like Lex is reflecting on this. So I just, again, I don't know if we're supposed to feel anything, but I just didn't. I'm just like, okay, so this is where he is and this is where he should be. This is a fitting punishment for what he did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I not know. I don't feel any. When every time I remember why he get kicked out. Why should I feel sorry for him?
0: Nope.
1: Yeah, no. I, I agree. I'm
2: just <laughs> <laughs> he tried to assault one of his tribe mates. Who has been a sister to him. And is literally his best friend's girlfriend. Who is trying to empathize with him. And show him care. And that's how he returned her care. I don't feel an ounce of pity for this guy. He's lucky he's not behind bars or been stoned. Mm -hmm. He's been left free to go. He wasn't even exiled from the city. He didn't get any real punishment according to the Bill of Rights. They just sent him out to be a predator to other people. Which is exactly what he
0: did. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Thanks,
0: (laughs) Danny. And there he learned that no, even at the casino, they won't put up with that. Because people have standards and Lex isn't one of them. He should have been branded so people would know, <laughs> oh, that's the kind of person he is. We can't leave him alone with any women or small children. <laughs> oh, Scarlet ladder <laughs> on Lex's head.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm with you. I'm just, I just thought I'd try and see if there was a, even a seed of... <laughs> Sorry, <of> <laughs> barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lex.
0: I'm now wondering if this was the type of behavior that ended him in boot camp in the first place. I swear, everything I've learned about Lex, I would not be
2: surprised if he had participated in many a date rape when he was still in school. Mm. Or at least attempted. Because it just comes nat—it comes naturally to him.
3: Right, yeah. There's no feeling sorry for him. If anything, it's a little hysterical because it's just like, wow, things just don't change.
0: <laughs> I mean, kudos to Caleb for play- for managing to play it this way, though.
2: His charisma give- helps this character a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah. Think about that, though. I think I think Trudy and Lex, in terms of characters, I would imagine those are the hardest characters for an actor to play. Just yeah. the yeah. the tough, yeah.
0: they are moral
3: good. roles. <laughs> you have to kind of get into the character's head and like, wow, this person's actually going to do this, and I have to get into that person's head to make where it makes sense to me to do that.
2: Yeah, I agree. They're yeah. very challenging roles, and they're both incredibly talented at tackling those yeah. roles with such emotional depth and range. Um, Lex does so many things I don't like, but I can never, I can never fault Caleb's performance of Lex. Now
0: nope. mm-hmm. well, the
2: casting for those two is great. Yeah, absolutely. Like he just became this person, and that's why behind the scenes, seeing Caleb is so wild. <laughs> so sweet and just dashing and,
0: and I have a photo of him with his guitar and I'm like love <laughs> love love he's, he's really the sweetest oh my goodness Caleb can I, can I fly to New Zealand can I find you <laughs> that you're looking in the wrong continent honey oh. <laughs> I didn't know where they looked I don't, I don't stop <laughs> that was never like the city this has always been his dream.
3: Yeah, well, he got his wish. What about us?
1: So, Dal was excited to trade for some diesel, which he then uses to get the farm's tractor up and running, and he has a well of a time ploughing the fields. Um, yeah, I don't want to focus on that because yeah, Tamsin did mention back in episode twenty when we discussed Dal's loneliness and isolation, just how he'd be better off on the farm as a tertiary character, like coming and going into the show. So, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts about that panel? Like, does Dal really belong with the Morats, do you think you really would be better off on the farm?
2: I do think that's a good question. I really like Dal. I want that understood. He's not a character that I was happy to see go, or that I ever felt was in the way. I've always very much enjoyed this character, who often is just a background character, but he's a strong, supporting character. I'm <laughs> glad he's there. But I will admit that if I were writing this, and considering the direction they kind of take with Dal... And they don't really do anything with him. I think this would have been a good time to start writing him out of the main cast um, and becoming more someone in the periphery. Someone that, that the mall rats run into now and again, but who isn't there for every episode. Because mm. I, I do agree that his path is taking him away from the mall. That is where his happiness lies. And that's nice. That's actually good. And that's okay to write out characters that way. Um, I do feel they don't do enough to with Dal in the future to justify keeping him around. It feels like it's a disservice to him to keep him around and then not let him do anything. Yeah. When this would have been a happy ending for Dal. You could have brought him back, you know. But I do think this would have been a good time to let him branch off. And leave the main cast. And be, you know, just you know, kind of form his own group at the farm. With other people who feel like him and think like him. Because there's no one else at the farm. It's like the farm girls disbanded. No one else shares this interest with him. And it, it just... It's almost like Dal's being punished for doing something he loves and there's no one there doing it with him. He's literally begging people just to go share an experience with him. Mm -hmm. You know, like, please, 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 this means so much to me. Please come with me. And everyone's just kind of like, nobody's interested in what Dal wants to do. So you could have just let him go his own way, meet other people who want to do this. And then he's someone we only see once in a while. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Not because I want him to be gone, but just because I respect the character. And if you're not going to do anything with him, if you're just going to make the poor kid miserably coming in and out of the mall with everybody kind of just ignoring him, don't keep him there. It's not right to do that to him, especially when we all know how he ends up.
3: (laughs) Exactly.
0: I wonder, because this makes me wonder at what point they knew what would happen with, you know, the next season, the beginning of the next season. If they already knew he was coming back and kept him on for that. Because it made me wonder if they originally wanted to write him off with a happy ending. And then just decided not to.
2: And do not know. I cannot get into their minds as to what they wanted to do with Dal. And I also don't mm-hmm. know how many behind the scenes things interfered with Dal's story. Because yeah. it's quite possible they had more plans for him in season 3. But then Ashworth mm-hmm. was I need to leave. I can't Mm -hmm. I want to go to school or whatever. And they were like, Oh, well, we're going to have to write him out. We had plans, but now we can't follow through. So I don't know what was going on. I just feel like at this point in time, this would have been a good time to just let Dal go do his own thing. And then we could have run into him again later in the season or whatever.
0: Because, you know, later on, it feels like the tribe they come across then would have been a good fit for him as well. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, hindsight's 2020, 20, I think it's very interesting of like how all these, well, not all, but most of these tribe characters end up just leaving because of personal issues of wanting to go to school or, you know, just done with the show. And I think it's so funny how these writers, how they choose to handle that situation, you know, like right before they decide to kick them out the show. So how they handled Dale in season two was like... I mean, it's cool to see him, but it's as if like he's just not important, and it's kind of just sad to see. I mean, they could have at least gave him a love interest. Or, you know what? They could have really played out that love triangle with Jack and, and uh, uh, Ellie a little bit more.
0: But not everybody needs to have a love interest.
3: Okay, okay. she doesn't need to have a love interest, but he needs something, something else. I mean, they could have literally left Lex alone. Like once he left the the tribe, they could have let him, you know, just not show him like how they're doing Trudy right now and just focus a little bit more on Dale before he leaves the show.
0: Yeah, but Caleb wasn't leaving for a while.
3: Well, I know that. I understand that. But they still could have done that with his character instead of uh, continuing to show him being a loser.
0: At the very least,
2: what they could have done with Dale is at least shown him making connections with other people working at the farm. That would have done a service to Dale. Um, just show that Mm -hmm. because he's so isolated, his best friend has completely abandoned him and not just abandoned him, but just cast him out and treats him like garbage. And Dal has no other connections or strong ones in the mall. Nobody gives a crap what Dal's into. They just show a token interest for the most part. And it's just because he's the guy who brings food back from the farm. So they have to show a token interest, you know, so they can say, yo, if there's any corn, bring that back today, you know? I think if they had continued with the girls at the farm and showed Dal actually connecting with them, then I wouldn't feel like Dal was being so cast aside. But he is just kind of thrown to the wind, and there's nobody. He has to literally beg people to spend time with him, you know. And I don't know why he has to be alone at the farm. It's like he can't possibly be the only person in the city who wants to work on that farm or enjoys that life.
3: You know what it reminds me of? It. It reminds me of, like, 16 Candles, of just people just slowly just forgetting about him.
1: You just reminded me, like, Casey pretty much breaks the fourth wall when he says, like, oh, did you trade Cloudy in for Dow? It's like, he doesn't know, doesn't know what to do with him. He's like, get rid of him. It's quite bad. That's actually
2: really harsh and hilarious.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and the only one who could get away with that. Yeah. but It does feel kind of fourth wall breaking. It's like,
0: okay. <laughs> right it's- and then you see everyone laughing at it.
2: I love that everyone's so toasted on the champagne. They thought that was the funniest thing they'd ever heard. Even mm-hmm. Tyson and Ebony are leaned in like, Ah, that was hilarious.
1: <laughs> oh, poor doll.
2: <laughs> yeah. Jeez, you guys. I'm happy for them, though, that even though that was not the nicest joke, um, <laughs> Considering like These guys rarely gets a a good time I was actually happy to see them Drinking champagne Being (laughs) goofily junk And just laughing at this joke Amongst (laughs) each other Like I just liked that
0: (laughs) They were laughing way too hard At that joke (laughs) It's
1: good to see them happy
2: (laughs) They're like you add enough sugar To this it tastes like ginger ale
1: (laughs) Okay, yeah. Sticking to the farm, um, with Ryan and Celine feeling more secure in their relationship, Ryan's thoughts turn to Slex and he admits to Celine that he feels guilty about abandoning him. And Celine finally urges him to just go and find his friend. Ryan, what? Stand up. Move over there. Now go find him. Um, yeah, panel, is Ryan right to feel so guilty about Lex And on the flip side, should Celine really be urging him to support his abusive friend?
2: I don't know what to say about Ryan's care for Lex, because I don't know why he feels this way. Mm. That being said, this is who Ryan is. Mm -hmm. It's clearly very necessary to him as a person to be, you know, to keep that responsibility of people. He's taken Lex under his wing, the same way he's taken on Celine, the way he's taken on the girls. It's not about how they treat him. It's not whether they deserve his care. It's that Ryan made that decision. I'm going to take care of you. And it's just that simple for him. Regardless of whether or not Lex deserves his punishment, as far as Ryan is concerned, he cannot abandon this person that he decided to care for. He just cannot be comfortable not knowing where he is, if he's safe, if he's taking care of himself. Is he eating, drinking? Is he being hurt? Ryan can't sleep easy with that. I'm not saying it's right or that I agree with it, but I do understand it. And Celine choosing to support him in that—I'm again not even saying that's a good thing, but I do understand that she wa- she loves Ryan. She loves this man. She wants to see him ha- happy and healthy and well-adjusted. This is important to him. He's absolutely miserable not knowing is. So the only way she can love him is to say, you have my permission to find him. I'm not holding a grudge. So don't let me be the reason you don't go find your friend. This isn't about mm-hmm. me. This is about you too. Go find him because I can't take this anymore. You know, um... No, we won't let him treat, him treat us the way he has been But go find him Go ease your conscience, whatever you gotta do And I can support that and I can understand it I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think she's in the wrong for that You know, she's being a good supportive Partner
0: Yes, yeah, she's willing to let go of Her own issues with Lex Just for Ryan's sake Although yeah. it does bother me that You know, on one hand Ryan was willing to kill Lex <laughs> <laughs> And then now he, he really needs to get him back. You know, I understand it, but at the same time, it annoys me. But yeah, Ryan's only human, so.
3: Yeah, he's only human, and it definitely annoys me. It must be, I think maybe Ryan's, like, conditioned, in a sense, maybe, to always care for Lex. Even though, I can't even remember the last, the last time Lex did anything positive for Ryan. But I think just when you're with someone for so long, you survive with them. The, all, all the, um, I guess, memories that you've had of, you know, in the tribe, you kind of feel something for these individuals. So I guess I can understand it, but I'm not going to agree with it that you should help Lex.
0: I think so. To Ryan, Lex is family. And you don't leave family behind.
2: Can I just say, isn't it nice to see Celine and Ryan at their best?
0: Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, my gosh. Like, when you see them in episodes like this, you can you can understand why people ship them so hard. Like, they are literally mm-hmm. couples' goals in this episode. And I was actually read a comment that I felt just said it all. Someone had said, Celine makes me so mad. She does some of the worst things. She can be the worst character ever. And yet, sometimes she can be the best character. And when she's at her best, she's amazing. And that's mm-hmm. exactly how I felt watching her this episode. Like celine you can be the absolute most worst garbage person ever but when you're at your best my gosh you're a queen you're amazing mm-hmm. you're at your best i wish you could be that all the time she's so good in this episode you could for- almost forget all the horrible things celine can do you know and uh yeah i just thought it was a great comment about celine you know yeah.
1: when she's at her best she's amazing <laughs> you know my feelings about them but I do agree. Yeah, this was a very, very nice moment between the two of them. And, like, massive props to um, Janet because that um, camera work was fantastic. Just panning around the two of them. That was such a great um, scene. Oh my god, just love the way. Fantastic.
3: Yeah. Very beautiful moment between the two characters. Too bad it all goes downhill from here.
2: oh they just they just look adorable their conversations are so good and grounded the way they're communicating with each other and just supporting oh it's beautiful i love it like why can't you stay like this forever <laughs> because you honestly this feels like they got over the horrible humps of their relationship so you can you start to feel secure like okay all that other stuff was just the bumpy road to get here and it's like it's just a false security <laughs>
3: It's a family and some posh do, so?
1: It's a ceremony. An awards ceremony for the top scientists at Pandorax. And we're none the wiser. No, but she is. Recognize anyone? Who's the guy you're with? So, Ellie confronts Danny in the middle of the tribe's celebrations after having been sent a newspaper article of an awards ceremony with Pandorax. Featuring the top scientists, which includes both Danny and her father. So, yeah, panel, what were your thoughts on the cliffhanger ending? <laughs> oh dang, secret's out now. How is she gonna save herself from
0: that one? And this is where the way she treated them
2: really comes back in her face, because mm-hmm. I, I honestly feel like a lot of Ellie and Jack's anger at this is because of how Danny's been treating them about their research. They've been desperate for answers, you know? And she's not just not helped them, but she's been a dick to them about it. You (laughs) know, riddling them, insulting them, sabotaging their efforts. And she had answers, you know what I mean? Even if she didn't give them the whole story, she could have given them something. And that's what you find out like this whole time. You were the key, you. This is what I have to find, this picture of you. I would have so many suspicions in my mind about Danny at that moment. I wouldn't have trust a word that came out of her mouth mm-hmm. because I'd feel like, how much of our work have you sabotaged to keep us from finding this out? Be- again, because she's been such a dick to them. Like all of that would come back to me if I was Ellie or Jack.
0: Mm-hmm. You
2: know? Like I think she's been deliberately trying to keep us from finding this out because of the way she's acted and
0: the way she's treated us. And I'm and like, you know, oh. Where did the video go? Oh, this explains everything. You wrote that letter! <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I do feel like that's where a lot of their fury comes from because that's what I would be pissed about. You know, like, you've been lying to us, lying to us. We've let you in our home and we've ah, just, and treating us like garbage at the same time, calling me and Jack crazy, horrible idiots because we want mm. answers, saying there are no answers to be had, and you had the answers. You'd be gaslighting us. Oh, I'd be furious.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is one of those moments where I really, really appreciate Ellie. It's just, ah, oh, the look on her face the moment she goes to Danny. It's just
3: brilliant. Yeah.
2: I bet Jack was like, we'll do it after dinner. And Ellie was like, I'm not hungry. We're doing it now.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> not waiting for that.
3: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think if Danny was just honest, I don't think anyone could blame her for what happened or you know at Mm -hmm. least for what her father did like that's just it's not possible to blame you for that but the fact that you lied about it you kept calling jack and ellie crazy and you stolen you you stolen stuff from them uh honestly they need to keep the same energy and kick her out the tribe
2: yeah you'll see that's what they're angry about Mm -hmm. most of them that's why they're angry like especially in the next episode Celine will say it best I don't blame you for what happened with your dad, but I am angry at you for lying to us. We accepted you. We let you in here. We gave you a home and we made you a part of us. And you've been looking us in the face and lying to us this whole time about who you are. That's what I think many of them have trouble with. Mm -hmm. Can they even trust her? You know, and uh, that's what really got her in trouble is lying and then treating people like garbage whenever they were close to discovering the truth about her or anything. And it's like, You didn't endear yourself to anybody, and now they found this out about you. You know? I kind of feel bad for Danny, though, because she's feeling this sense of security. She's feeling like I'm making up for my dad's sins, and I have a home, and I don't have to run. I don't feel like I have to run scared anymore. Bray keeps reassuring her that if they were going to find anything, they would have found it, and you're safe. And then mm-hmm. it's that moment you get, oh, I, everybody knows that moment where like your bowels turn to liquid. You're just like, oh my gosh, I do not envy her what she must be feeling in this moment. <laughs> it's like that kid. is like, I'm beating you up at three o'clock after school. <laughs> like, wow, my day is shot now. Oh my gosh. I don't envy her. I do feel a little bad for her. because That's so,
1: <laughs> <laughs> did you like that? It, um, Like this, Moment came so quickly after the trial acquittal, or do you think she should have been given a bit more time, more like freedom before this happened? The timing's okay.
2: (laughs) It's it's fine, you know. It's a false security. This is a good episode. Good things are happening to most of them. Their plans are coming to fruition. People are on their side. They're making progress. Yay! And yeah, you could almost again. Ellie and Jack have hit nothing but dead ends, Mm. and so for something just is boom. That was great. I just. I, I think the timing is fine I'm fine with it oh my gosh you know what it's like if you've ever snuck out of your house when you were a teenager and you have to sneak back in and you really think you, you made it through the whole house you have made it to the creaky door the squeaky store the doors the stairs and there was nobody that like the downstairs was quiet and you make it up to your room and you're just like oh my gosh I've gotten away with it, and then you turn your bedroom light on, and your mom or your dad is legit just sitting there. (laughs) You're like, "Ah!" Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) "I thought I made it." That is Daddy's face. (laughs) 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 That's
1: (laughs) so true. Uh, Cool. So that brings series two, episode 23 to a close. Thank you very much to the panel. And if you'd like to take part in a future episode of the podcast, you can drop us a message over on our Facebook page or fill out the form on our website, thetribe.co.uk. So we'll see you next time for episode 24. Until then, bye. Bye. Later.
2: Bye.